Question, great Mr. Cooper. <laughs> what is the significance of Juneteenth if at the same time that we pass into law that it must be recognized, we see the same body failing to protect some of the signature rights that go along mm. with freedom of the same? It's a good question there, Chris. Deep, man, deep. Uh, that is the hypocrisy that we're dealing with these days, and that's why we have to depend on good minds like yours to keep calling it out. Thank you, my brother. Good to see you as always. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. He laughs, but not because he finds it funny. President Biden returns to America tonight after his historic summit with Vladimir Putin. Here's the upshot. How did the trip go? It wasn't Trump's hell stinky, but Biden wasn't Reagan commanding Russia to act either. He said he did what he came to do with the Russian worked on advancing mutual interests, but warned about threatening our vital interests with cyber attacks and election meddling. He knows I will take action like we did when this last time out. He knows there are consequences. They are not able to dictate what happens in the world. Does he? Hasn't Putin gotten used to no consequences after Trump told the world he trusts him more than his own intelligence agencies? In no small irony, President Biden actually confused the pair earlier. I caught part of President Putin's uh, uh, press conference. Gaff? Mm, Doesn't really qualify. Uh, On purpose? Of course not. Funny? A little. Of course, Putin's work of weakening our country is being done for him, right? By the rabid right. Another sign of how pathetic our politics are. Trumpers who sat quiet while Trump tossed this country under the bus with Biden, with Putin. Well, there's a little Freudian. With Putin in Helsinki. He threw us under the bus. They said nothing. Now they say Biden isn't being tough enough on Putin. He is a trained propagandist, and you didn't have an American president standing there saying, wait a minute, that's not right, and confronting it. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I hope he runs for president. I I really do. I hope he runs for president because I want to see somebody who's going to have an amazing pedigree, and Pompeo does. Pompeo does, from... um, from West Point on, okay, CIA, Secretary of State, top diplomat. Are you kidding me? You want to be a leader and you're going to lie to Americans' faces like that about how Biden didn't say anything strong enough when you let Trump say that he believes Putin more than his own intel and you said nothing? Come on. I mean, come on. When is it enough for you guys? When are you going to say this game's got to stop? We all know it's a game. We all know it's BS. And we don't allow it in any other part of our life. We're not going to allow it in this part because this part matters. You remember Pompeo saying, I have seen proof of the origin of COVID. I have seen what happened in the Wuhan lab. And then what? He dummied up. Where was the proof? But now he believes in tough. Now he believes in follow through. They are doing Putin's work of division. They're even spewing some of the same talking points now, Putin and these pawns of Trump. Black Lives Matter movement. Arrests of Capitol rioters. Same thing. Listen. America just 
recently had very severe events after well-known events after the, after the killing, the killing of an African-American. And an entire movement developed known as Black Lives Matter. What we saw was disorder, destruction, violations of the law. But we don't want that to happen on our territory. People came to the U.S. Congress with political demands. 400 people. Over 400 people had criminal charges uh, placed on them. They uh, faced prison sentences of up to 20, maybe even 25 years. They're being called domestic terrorists. It's unclear on what grounds. Some people died, and uh, one of the people that died, they were simply shot on the spot by uh, the police, although they were not threatening the police with any weapons. Don't miss the point. The point here isn't his hypocrisy because he's a butcher and he treats his own people like dogs. That's not the point. It's that he is saying the same things we've become accustomed to here by the Trumpers. BLM, bad. Biden, bad for rounding up innocent people who attacked the Capitol. They had no weapons. They were sweet like sugar. Where have we heard that before? Here. If we'd prosecuted BLM and Antifa rioters across the country with the same determination these last six months, this incident may not have happened at all. We've seen plenty of video of people in the Capitol and, and they weren't rioting. It, they don't, it doesn't look like an armed insurrection. There was no insurrection. If you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. Same stuff, same language. We call it trumpery. Nothing to do with Trump. It's a real word derived from the French, tromper, to deceive. Hmm, what a coincidence. Biden said before his trip, democracy's in peril. He's about to return to a democracy in peril after confronting someone who helped put us in that state. But again, we're doing a lot of the work ourselves. So other than confirming that political poison abounds at home and abroad, why did this summit matter? Let's take that question to a much better mind. Former Clinton Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Good to see you, Madam Secretary. It's great to be with you, Chris. Thanks for asking me. Always a pleasure. Uh, do me the favor of engaging a skeptic. Why meet with this guy? Well, I think this was a very important summit, actually, because what it does is make clear our views and that we have a very different president from the one that he met with before and a country where President Biden is making clear that we're back, that he understands our value system, that we believe in human rights and freedom, and that we know that we have responsibilities. And he knew what message he was going to deliver, and he delivered it very clearly. And I think there are a number of angles to kind of look at what happened here, because there are several steps that President Biden took that really explain how he will and does operate in a world where he believes that America <clears throat> is back and that we need to protect our interests. And so bilateral diplomacy is basically the working tool for how to deliver messages, how to really know what you're going to say. And nobody is better at that than President Biden, because he understands the importance of human relationships, 
of talking straight and being prepared. <clears throat> That's a very, very important part. He knows the history of Russia. He knows about Putin. And he does something that's very difficult but important to do is to know who you are, but also to be able to put yourself into the shoes of the other party. Now, you brought this up, and I think this is a whole new world, which is the whatabouts. And Putin is very good at the whatabouts. And I think that we have to be able to dispute them and just make very clear that Putin is speaking to his own audience, his own people, because they are deluded into thinking that he is doing a good job. But I do think it's ridiculous, and I think that we have to make clear that the comparisons, the whatabouts, are, make absolutely no sense at all. Well, so that bilateral angle is very important. In our Orwellian reality, I think Putin's actually also speaking um, to the, you know, the white fright Trump uh, contingent in our country as well. I want to ask you another question about the utility of Biden's move, but you raised something that I don't want to let get away too soon. What do you think of former Secretary of State Pompeo saying that Biden needed to be stronger with Putin about what he's been doing in this country when he sat silent after that mockery of what happened in Helsinki when Trump threw this country under the bus saying he believed Putin over U.S. intel? Well, I am appalled at what Pompeo did when he was in office. By the way, I'm no longer a diplomat, uh, you know, and the kinds of things that he did or didn't do or what he supported Trump in doing. And so it's an outrage, and we need to call it out when somebody is really saying things that bear no resemblance to reality. But it does show that we have to deal with some of the issues that have been left over uh, from what was, I think, a tragic period in American history. Mm. Um, all right, back to Biden. Help me understand why it is useful to say we discussed our mutual interests and the fact that, to paraphrase, this guy keeps breaking into our house and trying to ruin the democracy. Why work on mutual interests instead of just sending the message, look, you know and I know that you did this and it's going to stop or you're going to have trouble that you've never imagined. See you next time. Why go into this mutual interest part? Because I actually do think that it is realistic to know <clears throat> that there are certain aspects about Russia's behavior that we do have mutual interests. And that has to do with the fact that of the nuclear arms, uh, what they possess, and that the fact that we do have to have some strategic stability in dealing with the issues uh, and with uh, the New START extension and dealing with that. And I think it is worth always <clears throat> in diplomacy to try to find something that you have in common, while at the same time <clears throat> you make very clear uh, that you have certain issues that you will not agree with and you state very clearly what you do believe in. And so I think that that part is very important in terms of understanding that there are some mutual things. The other part, though, Chris, that I think <clears throat> is very important about uh, this summit is that uh, the U.S. was not alone. I think, actually, the buildup to it was brilliant of President Biden going to show that America is back, but also that we have partners that believe in the same things we do. So he's got the G7, NATO, the EU, 
all of whom agreed with the kinds of issues that he raised in terms of moral values, in terms of the direction we have to go in, the problems that we have. We have partners. Putin is alone in his delusional view of what the world is. So I think that that part of the summit was also very important. And then, by the way, what I think was a very smart move, Toria Newland, who is the number three person in the State Department, <clears throat> very knowledgeable about Russia, Europe, and NATO, is uh, on her way back to Brussels to brief the partners about what really happened so that we are not alone in this and that there are areas where we can find ways to cooperate, but mostly that we have to be true to our values of human rights, of telling it like it is, and understanding. And then I think, Chris, another part of this that is very important is that there, this is but the beginning, and there is a work program that is set out where they are going to work on the strategic stability, but they also are going to work on a new area that is causing so many issues, and that is the whole cyber warfare, hybrid, uh, hybrid warfare, um, that the rules are not set out. And so I think that having our partners be able to help in developing this area and being very clear that if uh, Putin takes steps in those areas that President Biden outlined, he said 16, that there will be repercussions. There will be a way that we will make our stand very clear. We are not alone. We have a work program. It is realistic. And this was a very useful summit. Last word uh, to you. What is the next move that Biden needs to do to cement the success of what was laid out during the trip? I think the next move is he does have to spend time at home explaining to American people uh, how we proceed, that the whatabouts are something uh, that are dangerous in terms of dealing with somebody who, uh, in many ways, is willing to believe things about us that are not true, and that the importance uh, of how our domestic and foreign policy go together and how he needs the support of the American people and the support of our allies, and that we are really at a, uh, a really uh, very important point in our own history, and that America is back and can only be back uh, when the American people are supportive of how we answer questions, how we understand our values, and that we are true to what America is about. Two things. One, Secretary Madeleine Albright, when people watch this, they're going to flood me with messages saying, why don't you have Albright on more often? One, all I can do is ask. I want people to know that now. And two, I love your pin. I always ask about your pins, but I don't like the imagery because while it is Uncle Sam, you are empty thing, anything but an empty hat. I want you to know that right now. But I love, <laughs> I love the pin and I appreciate your insight. Nobody comes uh, before you in my book for insight on these matters. So thank you, Madam Secretary. Delighted to be with you, Chris. I'm happy to come anytime. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be asking and soon. All right. The irony of Trump folk trying to spin Biden as being too soft on Putin when they said nothing after Helsinki. I covered it there. We were desperate for something. Pompeo, all of them. So we're going to look at what Biden actually set out to achieve, whether it worked. We have an insider who helped get him ready. Is this what she expected? Next, Gotta Miller. Man, it's sad. I got to tell you, 
I, am, I believe you've got to live your life as an optimist. You can be a realist, but you've got to be an optimist. And I, am, I was really hoping that Biden could go take on a true bad guy and that America would just stand behind its president. And I have to tell you, that's what you Trumplicans did when Trump threw us under the bus in Helsinki. I'm telling you, international members of the media apologized to me as an American after that. They said, I'm so sorry for you. That's how bad it was. So now you're going to have these same puppets, pigeons and pawns say Biden needed to talk tougher when they said nothing. When Trump took Putin's side over American intelligence, be a break. You got no legitimacy. You got no leverage. You have no credibility. And yet. Here we are. Senator Tom Cotton calling Biden's meeting with Putin ill-advised. Pompeo, former secretary of state, CIA, West Point. Biden should do more than meet. He should have held a joint press conference to blast Putin on the public stage like Trump did. Oh, you only go back. What happened to the false? It's not a false equivalency. It's apples to apples. It's not whataboutism. It's the basis for your analysis. If you're going to say that he wasn't strong enough here, why did you say nothing about that? Come on. He's doing, they're doing exactly what Putin wants to do. So let's bring back an expert who helped prep Biden for the summit to see if she feels the plan went the way it was supposed to. Former NATO Deputy Secretary General, Under Secretary of State for Arms Control, Rose Gottemiller is back as promised. Good to have you. Nice to see you, Chris. Thank you for having me. From what you can tell, execute the plan as expected, and if so, why satisfied? Yeah, I've been having a good laugh about all the criticism, too, because actually, for me, Biden showed the most subtle skill as a negotiator. People were saying, well, didn't you threaten him? He said, well, I didn't need to issue threats. I just made simple assertions like, what would you think if suddenly your pipelines came under attack? To me, that is the perfect sign of a strong and subtle negotiator. You don't need to pound the table and jump up and down. You just make it very clear what you can do if behavior doesn't change. And so that's what I saw President Biden doing today. I thought he did a really good job, frankly. I will not dignify um, the critics on this one. I usually do uh, because I think it's good for discourse, but not when they sat quiet uh, during Trump in Helsinki. You you don't get the right uh, to get it wrong twice. So, Rose... I don't understand. Madeleine Albright tried to explain it to me, so I'll have two very smart women try to explain it to one dumb guy. Um, I don't understand the pretense of we have mutual interests when you know the man is inimical to your cause in trying to destroy your democracy. What is the upside of that kind of suggestion that there are things to work together on when you know he's trying to destroy you? Well, of course, you know, it's a tough argument, but uh, I remember the days of the evil empire in the USSR, and they were always trying to destroy us. But yet, but yet, we felt that it was necessary, and Ronald Reagan felt it was necessary in the end to talk to them about reducing and limiting nuclear weapons, because they could blow us up and blow up the whole world as well. They're an existential threat. So to me, there are some no-brainers that are mutual interests of the United States and the Russian Federation. We just got to keep working on them no matter what. Other things are more questionable, but I was interested today that Putin actually offered 
to Biden that Russia could help on Afghanistan. Now, that's that's a big deal. You know, Russia had or the Soviet Union had their own big failure in Afghanistan. I'm not saying that that NATO policy and U.S. policy has been a big failure, but we do need to keep working hard to ensure that a peace process becomes stable and that we get uh, the Afghanistan people the continuing access to their rights. So, uh, you know, if Russia is willing to help with that, great. If they're willing to put some money behind uh, their words, all the better. So we will see what that means. But I thought mm-hmm. it very interesting that here Putin offered to help. He also helped, uh, offered to help on Iran. So, you know, that could be very much to our benefit because we are concerned about the threats that the uh, Iranian state poses to the United States. In terms of primacy of concern, is anything more pressing, more threatening than cyber If only uh, analyzed on the metric of what's happening here at home right now. I haven't seen anything be as as effective. And it is no coincidence that Putin is parroting the same uh, attacks as what we saw during the disinformation campaigns of the election and what we hear from Trumpers. Nothing's hurt us the way that has. Shouldn't that be priority one? Absolutely. Well, I still will argue, Chris, that nukes should be priority one, but that's that's me speaking. Uh, but I thought the other big deliverable here, actually, there are deliverables. And the other big deliverable was uh, they are going to get down to work two teams of cyber experts on how we begin to deal together with uh, cyber attacks and, and these particular cases that are of such concern to the United States, the ransomware attacks that are going on. Putin's going to have to do some heavy lifting because in many ways the criminals are deeply embedded in his state. So he's gonna have to do some heavy lifting to shut those guys down. Mm. But let's see what can be accomplished in that regard. And it seems to me that uh, Biden here again was very clear. He said, I'm not taking that man's word for granted. I'm given three or six months, let's see what kind of progress we're making, and then we'll, we'll make a judgment. Is this in our interest or not? But it's good to have that kind of deadline set, too, for uh, us to be sure that the president will keep his eye on, on what's happening. Rose Goddard-Miller, thank you very much for taking us inside why what needed to be said and what it means and where it may lead. Appreciate you. My pleasure. All right. Update ahead. One of the many investigations surrounding President Trump. Did Trump's inaugural committee misuse nonprofit funds to enrich the family business? That would be a crime. We have one of the lead witnesses in the case. She says she doesn't lie. And even if she does, doesn't matter because she's got proof. Next. You can believe what you want when it comes to assessing or figuring out the meaning of all the different Donald Trump scandals. Time and again, you can read the emails, you can hear the tapes, you can see his signature on checks. It is true that there was a serious attempt going on to profit, and that's a problem. And it is true with absurd stuff as well like this planning document from the inaugural saying the then president-elect and his daughter, quote, confirmed they would like a full military parade as well as tanks and helicopters. But when it comes to the inaugural, there is new evidence showing just how Trump's team worked to profit off the presidency. And that is a violation of the Constitution. We have the documents and an insider to help us make sense of it. Stephanie Winston 
Wolkov. You've seen her on the show before. You know she worked on the inaugural. You know she was close to Melania. You know she's the author of the book, Melania and Me. Good to have you back on primetime. Thank you for having me, Chris. By the way, I wasn't calling you a liar uh, in the tease. I was saying it doesn't matter what people think of your credibility because you have proof. And that is the most credible thing that we can offer. We only know what someone can show. And you say that there is proof that there was profit motive here and that you talked to then president and his daughter about the same. Is that all accurate? That is all accurate. And I'd like to also add, Chris, that the investigation into the presidential inauguration committee is just beginning. Um, So many people think it was so long ago. But the um, investigation to the missing funds, into Ivanka, into Donald, into Rick, into Don Jr., um, all those involved. And at the end of the day, as you said in the beginning about telling the truth, um, rest assured, the documents and the testimony speak for themselves. And so that is where we will see who is innocent and who is guilty. Rick Gates, when you say Rick, you're talking about Rick Gates. Put up the email from Rick Gates to Ivanka um, about an initial proposal uh, to build the inaugural committee $3.6 million uh, for the presidential ballroom at the Trump Hotel. Uh, Is it true? uh, One, uh, did you put the email up? Did I miss it when I was reading what it was about? Oh, yeah, good. They're going to put this up so people can see it. Give us context. Um, 3.6 million. You said that's way too high. It wound up being about 175 uh, grand a day. Uh, Take us through that about what you think was behind the numbers that were offered. What was the motivation and who did you talk to about it and what was the response? Well, to start out with, you're in Washington, D.C., where you have the most incredible landmark historical buildings. So it should have never even been considered to be doing anything at the Trump Hotel, especially since it is the president-elect's hotel, and they would be self-profiting. When the price did come across my screen, which was forwarded to me, um, I was in shock, and I did raise red flags, and I did call out the... um, almost the audacity of even thinking that a price like that could be subject to even a conversation. In doing so, um, I did have a conversation later, a few weeks later, with uh, President-elect, with Donald Trump and Ivanka in Trump Tower, in Donald's office. And I raised all those concerns. Uh, My meeting notes are very clear. Um, I happen to make sure to keep them after every meeting. And they are sent around to every um, person that is in charge of each division within the inaugural committee. So everyone has a chance to respond to them. And the responses were slow and far from from coming in because I don't think anyone knew how to respond to that. So Rick Gates took the lead, as he did with most of the inaugural uh, financing. He was given the power of the purse. He had the power of the safe. Um, the tickets and the funds were in his hands, and he was very close in his, you know, I don't know now, but he was very close to the family, very close to Ivanka, and handled things um, one-on-one. What do you recollect in terms of what then-president-elect and his daughter's response were to your concerns that this was hyperinflated? Donald felt that Ivanka would deal with me later on the subject. Um, it was sort of, we were going through an entire presentation of the entire uh, inaugural layout. And so he didn't seem to think anything of it, nor did he want to have a conversation about it. He flicked off, you know, Ivanka knew we'll talk about it later. And Ivanka was very clear to me that she and Rick would uh, have that discussion.
when I spoke to her later that evening. So what this comes down to is, did they want to profit and did they know that it was wrong? Uh, do you believe there is yes. proof that they used their own property when they didn't have to and they didn't do it to be nice, they did it to make money? They really didn't do it to be nice and they did do it to make money and the documentation um, and the evidence really is strong in this case and it does tie all back to uh, the finances, right? We say follow the money. Alan Weisselberg being involved at the end of the audit to make sure that the finances were properly um, accounted for when the Trump Hotel was rather, um, you know, it, institutionally, it should, nothing should have ever happened there. We had the landmark buildings that we could have used. They were available. Some of them were rent-free, some for nonprofit. They split their costs in half. Trump Hotel inflated their costs. They also charged the same um, amount of time for a function. Instead of you know, $175,000, they charged $5,000 um, to another organization on the same day. So we do have precedence as to what is the proper amount to be charging for uh, space rentals. All right. We can still hear Stephanie. Her, her, uh, your camera froze, but we can still hear you. So let's keep talking. Um, the inaugural committee um, was tasked with trying to upsell rooms at the hotel. How so? I can't give you the accuracy of the conversations that took place there because I was not a part of them. Again, Rick Gates um, was There's another email that we can put up working. while we're waiting to get Stephanie's camera. Sorry to interrupt you. You're back. You look great. Thank you. Uh, put up the email um, of, uh, from Trump Hotel staff to Rick Gates. Uh, and it says, while we're waiting for that element, we can use some more big rated rooms, especially bit especially big and highly rated signature suites. Significance. Significant because the presidential inauguration committee should have no contact whatsoever with the Trump Hotel um, and spending at the hotel, nor should it have organized any rooms on behalf of any of the donors, whether, you know, donors that were contributing $5 million or $1 million packages. But it was handpicked. It was controlled by the Trump Organization, which we know is the um, operating organization that controls every entity under Trump. And um, Rick Gates, having control of that, working with uh, the other executives in charge of the presidential inauguration committee, um, had the ability to place people in the Trump Hotel, charge them exorbitant rates when there were other hotels that were available. And actually money, and it's been reported, I think approximately $6 million was spent by the presidential inauguration committee on hotels that didn't get used. So that's been something that I've been curious about because I haven't seen that, um, you know, talked about enough. And I also want to mention that the Trump Hotel, um, we had a friends and family rate while we were staying there of $345 uh, for the inauguration. That price was inflated to $3,000 an evening. No other hotel, five-star, four-star, no matter what star, um, had any, you know, comparable raise in price like the Trump Hotel mm -hmm. did. Stephanie Winston-Wolkoff, thank you very much for bringing us proof of the suggestions. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, you at home, you. you don't have to care about this, but the proof is the proof. And it is a strong suggestion that they were looking to profit and you're not allowed to do that. Simple point, simple proof. A new conspiracy theory is emerging about the attack on the U.S. Capitol. You hear this? <sighs> Directly from Hate TV. So why would I repeat it? 
because now you have elected officials once again following the lead of the Fox FOP. Okay? A former top FBI official will take it apart. And this matters. Next. Trump supporters are in an endless quest to deflect blame for January 6th. It can't be as bad as we all saw because then it's bad for him and bad for them. Remember, they first blamed Antifa. Then they said it was pre-planned, that there was no way that Trump incited it. Then they insisted there was no riot. These were peaceful tourists. Now a new bold-faced lie is being pushed by the Fox FOP. Strangely, some of the key people who participated on January 6th have not been charged. The government calls those people unindicted co-conspirators. What does that mean? Well, it means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives. No, they could just as well be pizza salesmen. He is getting something wrong, and he probably knows it is. Here's what should bother you. His employer said in open court that he is not to be taken seriously. Do they put that on that screen when he's putting out that BS? No. It's one thing when he's going to show video of me working out as if that's a problem. I've never heard a man insult another man by saying, this guy's too jacked. I've never heard of it. I take it as a compliment. It's nice to be mentioned on, on hate TV. But why aren't they telling you, don't take this man as truthful? Because we said in open court, he is not to be believed by reasonable people. They said it. What's his source? A site run by this guy, Darren Beatty, former Trump speechwriter, left his post in 2018 after attending a conference with white nationalists. But forget about what kind of dirtbag he's getting his information from. Let's talk about what is true and not true in this scenario. Former FBI director Andrew McCabe. Person one, person two, unindicted co-conspirator. Those are you guys. Those, those are feds, undercover. What's the reality? The reality, Chris, is that we're gonna, we're gonna go into very briefly a little law lesson here because I am convinced that your viewers are smarter than Tucker Carlson. So here's how it works. When an indictment is written, at the time the indictment is written and signed off by the judge, there are people who need to be referred to in the indictment just to make it a coherent story so it makes sense but who the government is not prepared to charge at that time. There may be all kinds of different reasons that they're not prepared to charge that person at that time. I'll give you a great example. When the indictment against Michael Cohen was sworn out, the government couldn't charge the president, Donald J. Trump, so he was referred to in that indictment as individual one. You could have also explained or referred to him as an unindicted co-conspirator. It's the same thing. So he wait, does the guy with, not so does the four-named anti-elitist on Fox think that Trump is an undercover cover fit? He might. He just might. Deep it's state, not, baby. It's not clear. Deep I think that's a conversation state. they should have. Deep state. So that's right. He is doing that's a little right. correlation as causation or, or a sum and all mistake, which is sometimes the government will carve out its own people. Uh, in my experience, they rarely call you guys. I don't mean to put you, you know, to put in uh, undercover uh, federal agents as um, 
unindicted co-conspirators because by definition you can't be a co-conspirator if you're working for the government because you can't have criminal intent that's the whole point of being an undercover um but the alleged oath keeper that was charged in the capitol riot um the indictment caldwell in person too took selfie photographs of themselves on the balcony and in other areas on the perimeter of the capitol caldwell sent a facebook message stating us storming the castle please share sharon was right with me i'm such an instigator um, what's the relevance of this? You know, it's not hard to figure out who person two is there. Pretty good guess is it's probably Sharon. But uh, the point is, for whatever reason, the government wasn't ready to charge her in that same document. Maybe they, or they need to collect additional evidence, or maybe she's decided to cooperate and is providing uh, information and needs to be protected for this period. There's all kinds of different reasons, but the one reason that does not exist is the one that he suggested. Person two is not an agent of the government. It's not a cooperating witness. It's not an undercover officer, because you cannot refer to those people as unindicted co-conspirators. Andrew McCabe, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Look, it's okay to attack the government, but you got to have cause and it's got to be good cause and it's got to be based on proof. It can't be because you want to undermine confidence in our democracy so that it somehow helps you and the political people that you like. That guy should have on his screen that he is not to be taken as serious. That's what they argued in open in court. They should own it. They are a disgrace for not doing it. Now, another potential disgrace. Hopefully it doesn't come to this. In Texas, it's hot. The agency that runs the state's electrical grid is also feeling the heat. Same power operator responsible for the winter storm blackouts led to deaths. Now asking Texans to conserve energy in a really harsh way. There's a problem here, and it's a bolo. Next. All right, I have a BOLO that stands for Be on the Lookout, and this should be a common concern. Um, politicians in both parties are going to play the suffering in Texas for advantage, and it's not right. The same power grid that failed to handle winter is struggling to deal with summer. Hundreds died, as you may remember, due to the failures we saw in February. Back then, remember what the excuse was, right? The state's Republican politicians in charge said, look, the system's built to deal with the heat of a Texas summer, not frigid winter storms, remember? We're not used to this kind of weather. Here, our peak demands and primary need that we're our, the most of our generation is during the summer. They were prepared for peak demand in the summer with the humidity and the flooding that uh, comes in those months uh, as well, not for Arctic cold. True, but that doesn't mean that the system can handle the extreme heat either. It is now in the high 90s in Dallas and Houston. And for Texas, that's nothing for what the summer can become. And yet the state is already looking at so many unexpected plant failures. They are short of electricity to power nearly two and a half million homes already. People are being told, imagine this, it's 90 out. Set your thermostat to 78, turn off the lights and appliances. What they're not being told is why this is happening. Now, ERCOT, that's the acronym for the state's power grid manager, they say answering requests from the media about why, listen to this, would reveal, quote, trade secrets or would, quote, 
cause substantial competitive harm. Really? What competition? ERCOT manages the whole state's power grid. It is the only statewide grid in the country. There is no competition. Look, before we see a repeat of the righties falsely blaming the Green New Deal, keep in mind, more than 70% of the plants now offline are thermal powered. In Texas, that means natural gas. It's not a green issue. Politicians on the right, like Ted Cruz, have been quick to call out problems in California. What about now? Can't run off to Cancun this time, can you, Ted? Or can you? Meanwhile, Biden's cabinet secretaries, Buttigieg, Granholm, they've held up Texas as a selling point for their infrastructure plan. They don't tell you nowhere in the $2.3 trillion that they're asking for is money for the Texas grid. Come on. The winter problems saw people get fired and some legislation got passed, but it's going to take years for those fixes to take place. And we don't have years. Now is the time for you to see past the game. Demand better, not blame, not bloviating about the future. Better. We'll be right back. Thank you for the opportunity to get after it. It is now time for the big show, Don Lemon Tonight, with its star, D. Lemon. And D. Lemon has a new offering for you. Are you a podcast person? Do you go to Apple Podcasts, big place to get podcasts? You will see in Apple Podcasts a new offering. What is it? With the big star, D. Lemon, called The Handoff. (laughs) Wait, who is. is that guy on the left? Good hairline. Subtle suggestion that they really don't like what we say because they don't even show our mouths. (laughs) First episode is out, brother. (laughs) I know, but they're telling us to shut up and look ugly. I'll tell you what. You win this because you have better spacing of wide eyes. Look how close my eyes are. Beady, (laughs) beady little eyes. You have nice spacing. So what do you want people to know about this? Um, What I want people to know about it is, you know, in the media has been said, oh, it's what they do every night. It's not going to be what we do every night. It is we're going to up the ante because the freedom that we'll have in a podcast, it's not on uh, broadcast or on cable television where you have a bit more restraints and, and the parameters are tighter. In a podcast, we're freer, as you are freer on the radio, to say certain things, to talk about certain things. But what I want people to know is that this is a place for everyone to come to. As I have said, if you, are e- if you are easily offended, you definitely want to watch us. If you're, I mean, listen to us. If you are not easily offended, you definitely want to listen to us. Because, uh, especially if you are, because we're going to toughen you up a little bit. As you know, um, I, don't, I believe in accountability. I don't believe in canceling people. I believe that people are fallible and that they're human. And in this podcast, we're going to say things that are provocative, the way people talk in person with each other how people often make mistakes in conversations, because that's what we do. And if people make a mistake, then we talk about it. We don't cancel people for being human. We need to allow people to be human and allow people to, if they do make a mistake, to apologize, to come back, to move on, restoration. That's what America is about, redemption. So in that, the whole reason I'm saying all of this is because We're going to go there in this podcast, and you're going to learn a lot about us and a lot about yourself. What do you think? Strong words from a man who probably can't be canceled. That's not true. The question is, how long will it take me to get canceled because of a podcast, of all things? I don't think that that you're going to get canceled because because we're talking about something and we're hashing it out and you have questions and that you're curious. I want people to be... um, 
more curious and less judgmental. And the only way you're going to get canceled if you do something that is that you shouldn't be doing. Oh, look, neither of us can say that. And don't sell the handoff short. Here are my two points. One, okay. we don't know what's going to get you canceled. The line slips all the time. Uh, I believe that the right has weaponized uh, a lefty perversion of yeah. uh, decent de- uh, discourse. I blame the left uh, for this. The right has weaponized it. They use it against uh, the left and different targets when they want to. Uh, but this is a mistake. This is an allegation equals a conviction. And if I don't like it, you lose. It's yeah. a problem. But that's not what we're doing on the handoff. No, uh, but Don, no, no. Don all I'm doing right is saying offer us deep. some room. I'm just saying give us some, give us some room give us some and latitude. some grace and give other people some grace and room and latitude. And if you don't, we're going to take it anyway. Right. Um, because, look, you're dealing with two veterans. Uh, Don and I share many things other than our affection and, and our family bond, which is We've been doing this a long time. We know who we are. We know what we believe. And neither of us has a whole lot of concern about people not agreeing or wanting to take us to task about it. If you want to know what is going on inside our hearts and our heads about what we cover. And in our lives. what's happening in the world. And in our lives. We go very deep in this first episode, Um, by the way. You know, COVID brain, I don't remember 100% of what we did in the episode, yeah. but people who have listened to it today were like, wow, man, you know, you really said some stuff in there. You yeah. really were. So I'm going to have to listen to it again because I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> you sure as hell weren't protecting me. Um, but people are pretty jazzed you. by it early on, and I dig that. I yeah. dig being provocative, and I hope it offers people food for thought. I got you. And look, I agree with you. And um, there are people who, I look, you know, you've been around me and my family. I have disagreement with my mom. Mm-hmm. We, you know, raise our voices. Mom, oh, yeah, you oh, lose, though. Your, oh, yeah, I'm going to lose. But that's how, you, that's how you do it. Look, this, look this is, uh, these are my notes for my family coming up. At first they said, well, book these. I said, I'm going to book your flights. And when I book them, that's it because I'm paying for it. Round trip, everything. Come on up. Don't change it. I know, right? <laughs> Don't change the dates or whatever. So then I call them back and say, hey, I, I missed a couple of people's birth dates. Oh, we have some small issues. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. How so many I'm, people? Uh, you have too many damn family. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine or ten of them. It depends. So many. They come and they're all running around. There's all these there's kids. They're beautiful, and they're though, people, aren't they? And everybody's got something to say. A lot of good-looking people. Beautiful. Interesting, interesting set of good-looking genes some, in that That's family. some beautiful black folks. And we're all mixed up from down in Louisiana. We got some Creole going on. We got some, you know, uh, interracial marriage. You didn't get I did get you, my you, mom's eyes. No, her color's different. On her eyes. Oh, she's lighter. My mom is... No, I not think her she, skin color. Her eye no, color. No, her eye color is lighter. My yeah, mom that's is what like, I just said. My mom is like, I think it was, we did her DNA. She's like 75, 73% European. She's so good looking. She's, yeah. But she can she's do you bored. ugly fast. She gets up in my face. Chris, <laughs> Chris, don't you talk to oh me. Oh my God, you're I'm trouble. like, listen, lady, you better back off. I don't want any trouble. <laughs> the handoff. Anywhere you get your podcasts. With Apple Podcasts. Sorry, sorry. Apple. Sorry, Apple. I'm screwing up and we just started. That's it. We're getting so, canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, D-Lady. I got to get out of here. I got to I love pay, you I gotta feed my family. <laughs> I'll see you later. I love you, you too. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.